It was an announcement that God made not a few months before a birth, but it was an announcement that God made 700 years before the birth. And that was God announcing that there would be a child born, that there would be a son given. And if you've got your scriptures, I want to encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Because in Isaiah chapter 9, you got me too much ringing. All right. There. All right. Less ringing? How about that? In Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read the whole passage. I think, Josh, you've got the slide there for the text. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, 700 years, just just the 1 through 7. We're going to read the whole passage, not that yet. So it says this in Isaiah 9. You got your scriptures? You're holding ancient texts. You're holding scripture that was written not only 700 years before Jesus was born, but now 2,700 years ago. And these were the words that God shared in starting to announce the anticipated, the long one, longed for one, the Messiah. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, You have shuddered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment roiled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fueled for fire. Let me stop right there. What you have here is God articulating to the people after a very difficult time that there was going to be change, there was going to be joy, there was going to be happiness. And maybe you're in one of those seasons where you're like, is this ever going to break through into some new day, the burden that I'm carrying? And what God was saying to them was that even though they had enemies and they were the Assyrians who were in um, basically what's modern day Iraq, and they were attacking the areas on the east and the north parts. That's why it mentions there the whole aspect of Naphtali and Zebulun, all right, that they're battle with them was going to come to an end, that he was going to defeat them as surely as the Midians, uh, Midianites were defeated back with Gideon, that God was going to take the yoke off of them. He was going to go against their oppressors and that they were to, to every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment royal in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. Because why? The wars were going to be over. God was going to bring about a new government, a new leadership for Israel where they could have this fulfillment of all their hopes. And then he gave the announcement. 
that there was going to be a baby. And so verse 6, join me here with this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then just let me finish out a couple more verses there that go along with this, if you've heard it before in different places and churches. For the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Some of you are familiar with probably the greatest uh, musical cantata kind of thing that's usually presented Christmas and Easter both. And it's Handel's Messiah. Do you know it? And what's the most famous song in Handel's Messiah? It's the Hallelujah Chorus. And the Hallelujah Chorus, what does everybody do? They stand up. And why do they stand up? Do you know? Well, actually, it started with King George II when it was performed. And, and he stood up. And, and one of the reasons you stand up is it's so inspiring. King of kings and Lord of lords, his government shall reign forever. Handel, he wrote the Messiah, the, the Hallelujah, the whole Messiah, actually, and the Hallelujah Chorus based off of this passage which he was instructed. He wrote it in 23 days. He wrote it when he thought it was maybe the end of his musical career because he was having financial hardship and he was down and out and he had a friend come and say, you need to look at some passages of Scripture, spend some more time studying, and he wrote this. And the power of the Hallelujah Chorus makes you want to stand up because you're like, yes, we win, we win. King of kings and Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is going to establish an eternal kingdom a new government that will reign forever and ever and ever. But it began with the announcement 700 years before a child was born, a son was given. Do you know if you go to Tel Aviv today, from my understanding, they have this passage, the government does, posted, and it's a copy that existed of this passage 100 years before Jesus was born. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of thing. Like, really? That's how cool is that? And with all that we have going on in our world today, we say, yeah, we, we long for peaceful governments, not only here, but around the world. There is coming a day. God longed for it. We long for it. There's coming a day when Jesus will return, but he came the first time to be able to establish his reign, not in the material world around us, but in the hearts and lives of people and hopefully in your life today. I find it interesting with Isaiah 9, 6. A child is born, but a son is given. Jesus was eternally coexistent with the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father together, the unity of the Trinity existing eternally forever and ever. And God in his sovereignty chose to have his son be born as a child. But the son was given because the son existed eternally. A child was born 
no ultrasound pictures back then. But the Virgin Mary was conceived through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ, God himself, entered this world to make some changes. And he makes those changes in the hearts and lives of us. Now, I, I, I won't ask the Yarbroughs, and we won't continue to bug them maybe in these weeks. I know it's a sacred kind of moment and, and a, a journey that you're on. But did any of you ever struggle with naming your kids? Oh, come on. You, you knew the exact names? All right. Well, naming a kid's pretty big deal. Why? Because it's so permanent, don't you think? It's like, wow, they're going to, and I always wonder, you know the names then through all eternity, right? And so you're like, this is a pretty big deal. We better get the right name right. I remember my, my uh, second child, I mean, he was so close to being Caleb rather than Zachary, right? And sometimes I think to myself, you know, I, I'm glad we called him Zachary or Zach, because he doesn't look like a Caleb, but, you know, maybe because you begin to associate, right? And that naming of a child is critical. Now, in Isaiah 7, just briefly before here, it was uh, it talked about the child being born to a virgin, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which is God with us, right? But here's another example. God, the Son, is so great and awesome that one name will not do. He needs multiple names. And so here's the multiple names, some of them that, that come flowing from God himself from a scripture. You will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to take the first two here this morning and just, just touch on them a little bit and sort of unpack it to help you have a, a fuller understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ that you worship. The Lord Jesus Christ that's calling you to recalibrate who he is, to follow hard after him. And the first is the word wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. So if we were to look at the word wonderful counselor, where would we go with it? How do we unpack it? What exactly is happening here? Well, Pela Yoetz is the Hebrew terminology for it. Pela is the word wonderful. And the word wonderful is like, oh, isn't that nice? No, it's not like that. Wonderful means it's a cut above. Amazing, incredible. So the word wonderful isn't something that's, um, how can I say it? It, it, it? It's not as much of a um, cutesy term or a term of just sweet endearment. It's a term that should bring awe to you. Wonder is in the middle of that, right? So he will be called wonderful. He will be called awesome. He will be called a cut above. You will not be able to qualify him because he is so great and grander, exists in every essence of who he is. So we get a hold of the word wonderful, majestic. Then the word counselor, yoetz. Modern psychology did not exist 700 years before Jesus was born. The idea of a counselor as somebody you would go to in a room and talk through 
past and history, that was not the concept of counselor. It's interesting because a lot of times that's where I even go when I think about the idea of counselor. It's like, oh, yeah, the counselor. And, and my mind goes back to something I remember uh, not only reading, but in the early years I had memorized it, but I can't recall it now, but I'm going to read it for you. And this has to come from a lady by the name of Anna Russell who wrote the following in the 1960s. She said this concerning counseling and, and modern-day psychology, even back then. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed, to find out why I killed the cat and blacked my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, and here is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk, and so it follows naturally that I am always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that's why I suffer now from kleptomania. At three, I had the feeling of ambivalence towards my brothers, and so it follows naturally I poison all my lovers. But I am happy now. Now I've learned the lesson this has taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. And sometimes, I mean, modern counseling is good in many ways, and, and that, I'm not knocking that. But many times, counseling has made that turn to say, oh, it's not your problem. You have these problems because they were someone else's problems, and they were passed on to you. And, and so we just got to go back and give you license to not feel guilty. Well, good, healthy, biblical counseling many times goes to the place that says, you are guilty, but you need a Savior. And we have one for you that can bring forgiveness and power and transformation in your life. So when you hear the word wonderful counselor, don't think of laying yourself on a downy couch to see what you can find, to see what can be dredged up from your subconscious mind. That's not what wonderful counselor means. The idea of counselor has to do with expertise and advice, all-knowingness. It's sort of like if you were to sit down with uh, an engineer to try to figure out how you were going to construct something, he would instruct you how to do that. If you were uh, to go to a medical professional, they would say this is exactly some routes you need to go to be able to, to find healing and wholeness. I don't know, maybe more of like a life coach or something like that. So don't get in your mind that he's just a, a nice, wonderful counselor. Oh, that's okay. It's all right. You're going to be okay. No, this is a term of strength, wonder, and awe, and majesticness. And God says, I'm giving you a child, a son, a new government, someone who can be in your life to give you wonderful, powerful excellent advice and direction and plans for your life. Any of you in the boat today going, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what needs to happen. I'm a little confused. I'm weary in the trenches. Been a few years. Maybe you're young and saying, I don't know if there's no way to go, necessarily know where to go. Well, guess what? The one who was born to bring transformation in the world and your life is called Wonderful Counselor. Now, we could take some more time with being able to talk testimonially about, you know, how has God's son, Jesus, been a counselor, a wonderful counselor in your life? I know I could go back to some of my early years. Big choices, right? Big choices who I was going to hang with as friends. 
choices about where I was going to go get my education, about who I would marry. And you seek God desperately in those moments. Give me wisdom to know what to do in the midst of this situation. As you grow older, it may be career choices or paths or locations, right? How you take your time and what you're to do with your time. Maybe it has to do with your marriage and challenges there or children and troubled teens you might have. And you desperately need wisdom, counsel. Not to go back in your subconscious mind and try to figure out, I guess they're sort of this way. No, to be strong. To be strong and courageous in things. Some of you were here for uh, the Kids Company uh, show on Friday night, which went really well for those kids. There's a part that's very nice, except there was one part of it that I, I, I didn't like. Well, it was okay, but... I was in work attire. I hadn't showered for probably who knows how many days. No. Um, and they invited me up on stage for a song to participate with them. And if you were here, it was a cute song. And it was the song about Joshua 1 and being strong and courageous. In fact, I was so blessed that they gifted me this sign from uh, AR Workshop. There's a plug for the fans. And uh, it says... From Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, I could sing it and dance that they made me do. For the Lord your God is with you, right? And you're like, oh, get the pastor off the stage. Get the pastor off the stage, right? So it's a great show, except for, I guess, I, I had to come up and receive this. I'm going to be hanging this in my, my office. You know why? Because... They knew the story of us transitioning from before and here. And one of the verses God brought to me was this verse right here. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. This is wonderful counsel. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Don't get discouraged. Consecrate yourself, it says, right? As we looked at last week, two chapters later. For tomorrow, God will do amazing things among you. You ever had God press almost an audible word into your soul? And it's still with you to this day. He said, go. He says, stay away. He says, hold back. Bite your tongue. Speak now. It's possible through his Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus lived on this earth, he gave counsel all around him. He left. He told the people, it's to your advantage I leave because I'm going to send my very spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to possess us who walk with the Lord Jesus. And his voice is closer than you think if you just get rid of the noise around you. Spend some time in his word. He will give you his counsel. Oh, Carrie, it's so hard for me to hear from God. How do you know when God's saying something to you? Maybe it's just my subconscious. It could be. It could be. But maybe not. Maybe God's wanting to impress that word and give you counsel, advice, and instruction. But he's waiting to know a couple things. One, are you going to slow down to really listen for his voice? And two, are you going to obey it when he speaks it? He's got the plan. He's got the counsel. He's got the advice through his spirit dwelling within you.
You know, if you were to open your scriptures and then look at the son who came and look at his ministry, you could turn to something like Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, we have Jesus just sort of walking and roaming with people and doing ministry. One of those moments is when he, when he healed um, the man who was demonized of the Gerasenes. You remember that? I mean, this is, man was in bad shape, bad shape. And he came to Jesus. And he said, you know, Jesus, help me. And Jesus freed him of a multitude of demonic spirits, a legion of them. And the man was so excited afterwards. Remember what happened in Luke 8, 38, it says this. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. That's an example of Jesus when he was here in the flesh, the child who was born, the son who was given, coming and giving counsel. He did ministry to this person. This person said, oh, this is so cool. I mean, where are you going next, man? You, you showing up in Texas? I'll see you next summer kind of idea. But no, Jesus looked at him and he said, you don't come with me. You go home because he needed his home. And he needed to reconnect with his family, build those relationships, get a base of support and strength from which to operate, and tell them what God did for you in your life. Let your testimony speak quietly in the areas that you're already connected with. This is my counsel. Don't you come with me. You go home. Well, you keep reading there, and he takes off, and he hears about Jairus' daughter, this very, very sick. And Jairus' daughter is very, very sick, and he's thinking, well, you know, I need to... I need, I need to go and sort of maybe help out there. So he makes his way, and it begins talking not about Jairus' daughter, but it talks about another situation that comes up. It says this, As Jesus was on his way, in verse 42, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, I mean, come on, really be real. The people are crowding and pressing in against you. You got the scene? Someone touched me. He's supposed to be heading a certain direction. Someone touched me. Woman was reaching out for Jesus for healing from a medical issue, and, and she was healed, but he stopped. He could have kept on going. Peter's like, come on, man, Jairus' daughter's in bad shape. It's like, no, wait a second, somebody touched me. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Why did he do that? Because he's the wonderful counselor. He's the amazing. He knew, he understood that she needed to know that her healing wasn't by circumstances, but it was by the direct touch of Jesus. So Jesus paused, someone touched me, power's gone out for me, turns around and says, you have been healed, now go in peace. Because she needed more than physical healing. She needed peace. And she needed to know that the Son of God was directly involved in the miracle in her life and that she could always seek Him out as a wonderful counselor, as an amazing life coach. 
What about Jairus' daughter? She's, she's dying. And so he keeps on making his way. He keeps on making his way. When Jesus was still speaking, someone came to the house of Jairus, the son or leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. I like verse 53. It's so real life with human beings. What's 53 say if you're there? They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. It's comforting because have you ever been laughed at? People thinking you're silly, especially if you believe in God or you're it's like, you're just crazy. That's nuts. That's just like stupid. That's, you know, frivolous. That's meaning Jesus was laughed at. Didn't deter him. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So you see Jesus healing someone, raising from someone from the dead. And then he gives counsel. Give her something to eat. Nurture her. Strengthen her from this weak condition. Don't tell others. And he had a reason for doing that. We'll go into it. But it was like there's counsel that followed on the hills of the ministry. Has Jesus done something miraculous in your life? Saved you. Forgiven you. You've gone your merry way. And you've forgotten that he is the wonderful counselor. What question is going on in your heart and soul today that you need counsel for? Be encouraged. To us, a son is given, a child is born. He'll be wonderful counselor. You know, it's amazing with this whole passage because this is just one prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you were to search the scriptures, you would find in the Old Testament 300 prophecies that were spoken about the future Messiah that Jesus ended up fulfilling. Those prophecies, they run the gamut. Genesis 3.15, the offspring of a woman. The Messiah would be Isaiah 7, 14 from a virgin. Psalm 2, 7, the son of God be called the son of God. Genesis 22, 18 would be a descendant of Abraham. Genesis 22, 12 from the line of Isaac. Numbers 24, 17 from the nation of Israel. Genesis 49, 10 from the tribe of Judah. Isaiah 11, 1 from the family of Jesse. Jeremiah 23, 5 from the house of David. Micah 5, 2 that would Messiah be born in Bethlehem? Psalm 72.10 would be presented with gifts. And Jeremiah 31.15 that other children would be born upon his birth. Which happened with Herod. 300 prophecies. Do you know what they say statistics wise are the chances of having just eight of those fulfilled in one person? One in a million? One in a billion one in a trillion that eight prophecies would be fulfilled in one person no it's one to ten 
at the 17th power, which is one in 100,000 trillion chances. 700 years before Jesus was born, this was spoken. And he took it on and he fulfilled those prophecies. And he became the wonderful counselor. And not only then as he walked the roads of Israel, but also today as he walks in our life. The next phrase, mighty God, don't need to park there long. The idea of a mighty God is, is embedded in the very words. The word there for God is um, uh, from Elohim, the most common term for God in Scripture. And the shortened verb uh, form of it is El, and that's what's used here. El, when it's shortened from Elohim, gives reference to mighty God because it's the name for God, one of the names for God in Scripture in Hebrew. But then the word mighty is put in front of El or mighty God, and so it's really mighty, mighty God. Mighty, mighty God. I just want to point this out as we close with mighty God, wonderful counselor. And it's this. The next slide, Josh. He makes the plans. Wonderful counselor. And he makes the plans work. Mighty, mighty God. Silent night, holy night. Friends, I am endeared to Christmas as much as you are, and I'm looking forward to some slow down time once we get the drywall hung. But when I come to worship at Christmas, I don't worship a babe in a manger. I worship the wonderful God. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Just four names we'll look at in our time together as a family this Christmas season. But may those terms fill your heart with a sense of encouragement, but a sense of strength and transformation to worship him. Has Jesus become your wonderful counselor? Is he seen to be your mighty God? Do you need to slow down to hear his voice? Do you need to be willing to obey his voice if he was to affirm it to you? Sometimes it almost seems to be inaudible, but most of the time it's still a still small voice in your inner spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells there. And he says, don't go. I was writing an email this week. and It was one of those times where I was like trying to explain something, this and that. And I wrote a couple sentences, typed it. I mean, and I'm like, I don't feel good about those two sentences. And you think you're just editing it. But it's like, Lord, this is a pretty important email. Should I just delete those words? Delete. Just delete it. Signed off. Why? Because the words at the end were in the flesh, and they weren't from the Spirit. But the Spirit of God that dwells in me, that was born a babe in a manger and was sent through the Spirit, on the day of Pentecost into my life, for me as a follower, would give counsel and instruction. 
right there. Hold your tongue. Stay clear from that. Take this initiative. It's pretty cool. It's just pretty cool to not only know that he makes the plans and can direct your day, but he makes the plans work. If you've never invited him to be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, you can do that this Christmas season by turning your life over to him. Repenting of your sins, making a beeline towards him and saying, forgive me not only my sins, but come into my life. Guide me, lead me, direct me. You are an awesome advice giver. And you are a mighty, mighty God who can make it happen. From this day forward, I'll choose to live for you. You can do that today if you're not a believer and follower in Christ. And I encourage you, if you are a believer and follower in Christ and you've wandered far from his counsel or belief that he can do mighty things, then maybe a bended knee before his throne as the wise men bent their knee before the manger. Acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Joe, come back up. Let us pray. Lord, in this moment, I thank you that you you have wrote an incredible epic, a birth announcement given 700 years. 700 years before the child was born. God, your excitement about the announcement shows your tremendous tremendous love for us because you wanted to intervene on behalf of us in our world and for those of us who have had you intervene as our wonderful counselor and mighty God we praise you and thank you this Christmas season for those who do not know that Lord we ask that you would just continue to encourage them and strengthen them to make that decision and Lord, as we interact with others, family and friends this Christmas season, some of us probably heading out this week, may we carry with us the good news, the glad tidings that are in Isaiah 9. The changes are coming, that the enemies can be defeated, and that you will be a new government in the lives of people first and then in our world and our nation. Lord, may we find ourselves worshiping you because indeed you are the wonderful counselor, mighty God.